Acts 13 is where we're gonna be this morning. So you know, one of the things that, that I'm deeply convicted of is that I'm deeply convicted that this culture we live in that is so obsessed with the big moments, kind of the, the highlight real moments, this culture that we live in that's obsessed with the big moments, if we're not careful, it will rob us of seeing the beauty and the joy and the significance in the ordinary moments. That this highlight real culture we're in, if, if we're not careful, it will actually rob us of seeing all of the beauty, all of the ordinary stuff that happens in uh, the day-to-day -day moments. I remember when I was a kid, you know, growing up, I was a baseball fan. I make no apologies for that. I know there's not many of us left. Raise your hand if you enjoy the game of baseball. There's like six of us. Oh, that's great. The spirit of God's at work in our church. Like, you know, um, very few people seem to like baseball anymore, but I've always loved baseball. No apologies. My dad grew up in Chicago, six blocks from Wrigley Field. And so along with being a follower of Jesus, being a Cubs fan was just like deeply ingrained in me, which for most of my life felt like punishment. I mean, it was it was, a, it was a labor of love. It was a difficult journey. And as a kid, I'd come home from school every day, and there's this channel that was a part of almost every cable package called WGN. And by the grace of God, you could watch the Cubs play every day on WGN. And so I'd come home from school, and I'd watch. I know this is a novel thing. I would literally sometimes sit down and watch an entire baseball game on TV. Raise your hand if you've ever watched an entire baseball game on TV. Yeah, the few, the proud. Not many of us. Um, it's crazy. And so I would sit down in my elementary school years and I would, I'd watch these entire games because I had no responsibility and I could do that sort of thing. And towards the end of elementary, the beginning of middle school, uh, there's this channel that had been around for a long time, but it really began to grow in notoriety, this channel called Sports Center. And they started doing this show uh, every morning where in the morning they would literally replay the highlights of all the games uh, from the day before. And here's what I discovered is that if I would just wait until the next morning, in 60 seconds, I could see all of the best moments from what would have taken me four hours to have watched the day before. And, you know, I, I wasn't a mathematician, but I thought that's a pretty good return on investment. You know, I can see in 60 seconds what took place over four hours, every big hit, every big moment, every place of controversy. I could see all of it. And not only could I see the highlights from the game I wanted to watch, I could sit there for an hour and I could watch all of the highlights of games I didn't care anything about. And I could be informed of every great moment, every great play over the course of a day. And here's what began to happen in late elementary school, early middle school for me. I began to learn what it was like to feast, to feast on all of the, the great moments, the big moments from the day before. Like, and I can sit down and I can consume all of those things that happened. But here's what I discovered is the more I feasted on the big moments, the more my appetite was dulled for the ordinary moments. That the more I, I watched the highlight reel version of, of life, like the more difficult it became to actually watch the game that I grew up loving. And this happens in all sorts of things, not just sports. I remember you know, for me, it also happened like with reading. I loved to read. And then I got to high school and I realized, man, you don't have to read all of those big, boring novels. You can get into this thing called Cliff Notes. You know, you, you can get the summary like sent by God to humanity to get you through high school. Like you can read the shortened version of some of those novels, right? Or it's what happens with us in the news cycle. Man, you don't have to watch the whole news cycle. You can catch the bullet points. And here's what we're being trained to do in our culture. We're being trained to obsess over, to chase after those extraordinary big moments in life. But here's what I'm convinced of. The more we cultivate our appetites for the big moments, the more our senses are dulled to the ordinary. And the reality is life is made up of the ordinary. In fact, it's, it's some of the most important stuff. 
You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were on family vacation and we get in the van to drive 10 hours to, to see my family. And we've been in the van for like 30 seconds and my four-year-old son is like, hey, how long until we what? Until we get there. Like apparently you've asked that question before. How long until we get there? And then five minutes go by and it's the same question. How long until we get there? And then 10 minutes, how long until we get there? And then I beat him and you wait 30 minutes. No, I'm joking. Um, it's like, how long until we get there? And I had to keep reminding him the destination is not the whole goal. That the journey, in fact, is a significant part of what's happening here. And this, this doesn't just happen out there in culture. It doesn't happen just there in these insignificant moments. It happens in the church, in the kingdom of God all the time. I'm convinced that this way of seeing life has infiltrated the church. It's changed the way we see everything. We're obsessed with the extraordinary moments in the kingdom. And we've lost the ability to recognize and celebrate the ordinary. I remember being in high school and we'd go to youth conferences and at youth conferences, they'd always have somebody come up and give their testimony. And man, youth conference testimonies, aren't they always like the craziest testimonies? Like you never get a, you never get a testimony at a youth conference where it's some guy on stage and he's like, here's my story. I grew up in a Christian home and went to a Christian college and married a Christian girl and had a Christian family and I'm 57 years old. I've just been living a Christian life and I thank God for it. Like that's never, that's never the testimony. The testimony is always just like one step short of total insanity. It's like, there I was selling drugs to disabled children and punching old women. <laughs> and then one day in the middle of my terrible cycle, a guy drove by and he threw a Chick-fil-A cup and it hit me in the head and it had this Bible verse written on it and the glory of God shone on the sidewalk. And I committed myself to the mission of Jesus to reach unreached people in Russia and here I am. And, and I sit there and apparently you heard those testimony too. And, I would compare their finish line with my starting line. They're extraordinary with my ordinary. And I'd go, okay, maybe that's God's call on their life. And maybe God's call on my life is just to show up at church and to sing the songs and to hear the sermons and to be a little bit more moral than my friends in high school, which isn't too hard, you know, to drink a little less, cuss a little less, smoke a little less, show up at church, serve, give. And, and, and maybe that's what God has for me, but I believe that is a lie from the pit of hell. I believe every single one of you, you are masterpieces created in Christ Jesus. Dreamt up in the heart of God, and even if your parents had you accidentally because of too much wine on a Friday night and a bad choice, like even if you weren't planned by your parents, you were put on earth by God, and there is no such thing as an oxygen waster in the kingdom of God, that you are here with the purpose, with the design, with the plan that God wants to use you but the reality is your journey from where you are to where God wants you to be, where God has you, that journey is very rarely a simple, straightforward, short journey. It is normally this complex, one step forward, 10 steps back, upside down, inside out kind of way of journey. And this morning, I wanna look at the life of this guy named Saul who later has changed to Paul and go, okay, God, what is it about his journey what is it about his journey into the plans and the purposes that you had for him? What is it about that journey that you want to use to inform our journey? Because I'm convinced that, that the vision of God for Ethos Church is not just to be a gathering space, but that this will become a sending place. And that God is gonna send you out to your neighborhoods, to your friend groups, to the nation, to the nations and you have no idea what God has dreamt up. 
But in order to get there, we have to understand the way that that unfolds. And so here's what I want to see as, as we get into Acts chapter 13 is, I'm convinced that Luke, the guy that was writing down the book of Acts, he wasn't just giving us a historical picture. He wasn't just saying, hey, here's a bunch of stories that happened. I think it's so much more than a historical picture. I think he's giving us a prophetic framework for understanding not just what happened then, but what's still unfolding all around us. You know, he starts the book in Acts chapter one by saying, hey, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. And he says, and this is a book about the things that Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is still doing and still teaching. And it's a story that, that, that is still kind of unfolding in our midst. And I think we have to be careful because when we come to stories like this in the book of Acts, I think a lot of times we, we tend to come to it with this framework, this vision, kind of this um, highlight reel version of life. We come to the stories with this highlight reel version of life that looks something like this. I wanna put a picture up on the screen. Here's kind of typically what we expect life in the kingdom of God to look like. We believe it starts out with this divine design that you've been created in Jesus, great plans and great purposes. And we believe that so often that, that grand design begins to take some detours. It's what Romans 3.23 says, that every one of us, we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter if you're Donald Trump or Mother Teresa or somewhere in between, like every single one of us have gotten off path from the things that we were designed to do. We've taken these detours in life we found ourselves in places we didn't expect to be in. And then there's these moments of holy disruption where Jesus shows up and he says, hey, you're not heading in the direction. You're not headed in the direction that you were expecting to go. You're not headed in the direction that you thought you were gonna go. And what, the way we want it to work is we want it to go from designed by God, detours in our life, disrupted by Jesus, and then immediately we step into our destiny. And if we're not careful, we take this framework and we put it on top of the scriptures when we read things like this. Look at Acts 13, verses one to three with me. I love how this goes. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, there was a guy named Simeon called Niger. There was Lucius of Cyrene. There was Manian who, brought up, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And so, I mean, it's a pretty amazing testimony right there. This guy that was friends with the king that was trying to exterminate the Christians. This guy's now a teacher in the church. We could just dig into that all day. What an amazing testimony. And Saul. And Saul, do you remember Saul's story? It's what Josh Willis taught on two weeks ago. Saul, this guy who was systematically trying to exterminate the people of God. He was a spiritual and physical terrorist. And you get to Acts chapter 13, and now he's a teacher in the church. Pretty amazing. Verse two, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. And so we, we read this story and it's like the most incredible testimony. It's like the youth conference testimony. Acts chapter nine, look at what Saul's doing. You flip over one page, just a couple of chapters, and it's like, wow, now this guy's a teacher in the church, being commissioned by the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit to become the most significant missionary maybe in Christian history. He ends up writing half of the New Testament that you have holding, sitting in your hands, and it's like, wow, how long did it take for him to go from being disrupted by Jesus to stepping into his destiny? Well, if you just look at the scriptures, it feels like it takes about a page and a half. Wow, that's pretty amazing. But you realize there's, there's more to the story. 
And, and it's not just designed by God, a short detour into exterminating the church, disrupted by Jesus on the road to Damascus and then into your destiny. In the book of Galatians, which is written by Paul years later, Paul says, hey, let me fill in some of the gaps for you. He says, let me tell you some of the stories behind the story that was unfolding there between Acts chapter nine and Acts chapter 13. Flip over to Galatians chapter one with me. We start in verse 13. It'll also be up on the screen. He says, for you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. So right here, he's telling you about kind of this spiritual detour that he took. He says, I was going hard after things I shouldn't have gone after. I was advancing, verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I love that, just a moment to humble brag. You know, Paul's like, hey, here's the deal. He's like, I'm, I sinned and I was a better sinner than all of you. Like, he just drops that in there. I was better at it than you were. Um, verse 15, he says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me, he's saying, hey, this is, this is my divine design. It's what I was made for. He called me by his grace. He was pleased to reveal his son Jesus in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. And then after three years, say that with me, three years. Say it again, three years. Come on, say it again, three years. Three years. Say that after three years. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, to stay with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother, and I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. And then I went into Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to, tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Verse one, and then after 14 years, say 14 years, 14 years, 14 years. After 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along with me also. See, we all want life to work like this. We want life to be designed by God, short detour, disrupted by Jesus. Now we're in our divine destiny. And Paul says, that's not the way that it works. Paul says, that's the highlight real version of life. He says, this is what life really looks like. You can put this picture up on the screen. He says, he says it's designed by God. It's a detour. It's disrupted by Jesus. And then it is this season. One step forward, 10 steps back, all sorts of spiritual cul-de-sacs, all sorts of disruptions all along the way. And I believe this season's of the up and down. It's what I just call that season where we are developed by God. And for this morning, I just wanna take some time to talk about what happens in that space between our Damascus Road opportunities where we're disrupted by Jesus and those Acts 13 moments where all of a sudden we are sent in to the calling and the purposes of Christ upon our life, that space between your disruption and you stepping into your destiny, it's the season of our development. And I'm convinced that we cannot shortchange. There's no quick way around it. You can't microwave your way around it. You can't, you, you can't get through it quickly. That, that there is this thing that happens in the season of the in-between where we find ourselves just going, hey, God, am I there yet? <laughs> am I there yet? And if we're not careful, this, this way of viewing life, it just doesn't fit neatly with our highlight real version of Christianity. And so a lot of us try to hit the eject button when we're in the middle of it. But I believe it's the place where so much of the good stuff happens. So there's several things that I want you to see as we talk about this season of development. If you take notes, the first one is this. I want you to notice 
that if we're gonna be developed by God, it's gonna require us to embrace the reality of time. It's gonna, it's gonna cause us to embrace the reality of time. You read Acts 13 and it just feels like a youth conference, like boom, 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 boom. There I was doing these things and then God showed up and then boom, I'm in my destiny. But Paul says, no, that's not the way that it works. He says, more than a decade went by. So he says in Galatians 1, he says, I went up to Arabia and then to Damascus and then to uh, Syria and then to Sicilia. He said, I was in these places. He says, and God's work in me took all sorts of time. I don't, know, I don't know if you've ever gone back and done the math before, but you look at the lifeline of Paul. And when we first meet him in Acts chapter seven and eight, where, where he's there approving of Stephen's death, we know because of the language that's used to describe him in the original language in the Bible, we know that he was somewhere in his late 20s when that moment took place. More than 14 years go by before he's sent into his mission. So at the very least, he's in his mid to late 40s. He's sent into his mission, which we'll read about in the rest of the book of Acts, and he's killed in his early 60s. And it just, just dawned on me all week as I was looking at his story, I go, man, God took 47 years to develop Paul for a mission that would last less than 20. God is not interested in moving quickly. He sees time differently than you see time. And that your season of development is not a punishment. That your, your season of, of development is, is not God forgetting or being lazy. This is the story of the kingdom of God. You remember Abraham? God calls Abraham. Calls Abraham into this amazing moment. And 25 years go by before he begins to see the fulfillment of what God had called him into. 25 years. Or the story of Moses. You remember Moses' story? How long did God develop Moses? before Moses was unleashed into God's destiny for him. 80 years. There's some of you in our church that are in your 60s or 70s, or you have parents that are in their 60s and 70s, and, and they're looking at life, and I go, man, according to the scriptures, they're still 10 years away from them getting in their sweet spot in the kingdom. That God did more with Moses after his 80th birthday than any of us could have imagined. It's the story of Israel. How long did God develop Israel before he brought them into the promised land? How long did King David sit in his anointing before he actually stepped into his rulership? How long was Jesus, the Son of God, filled by the Spirit of God, commissioned to bring the kingdom of God, how long was Jesus developed before he was released into his destiny? 30 years. 30 years for three years of public ministry. And yet all of us, I'm convinced, because of the culture that we live in that's obsessed with the highlight reel version of life, all of us are kind of like, well, I know it was Abraham, I know it was Moses, I know it was David, I know it was Israel, I know it was Jesus, I know it was the disciples, but I think I can get around that. Listen, if you want to live in to the calling of God on your life, you have to walk through the season of being developed by God. And to be developed by God will always require an amount of time that none of us are comfortable with. Like what if God wants to develop you for 50 years and use you for five and then bring you to heaven? <laughs> I guarantee you it's a good investment from his perspective. To be developed by God, it's gonna require time, but not just time. Number two, it's gonna require a commitment to obedience. 
commitment to obedience. I love this in verse 16. He says, right after God disrupted me on the road to Damascus and revealed himself to me, verse 16 in Galatians chapter one, he says, right after he revealed his son that I might preach him to the Gentiles, my immediate response, my immediate response was not to consult any human being and I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus and then after three years, and there's a lot of conversation about what was Paul doing during those three years and then what was he doing during the 14 years and there's a lot of speculation in that, but I think he answers that question for us in Galatians 1. He says, I immediately... I immediately began to obey that which Christ had called me to do. And what he had called me to do was to share the reality of Jesus to those that had not grown up in the synagogues. So immediately. I think, I think sometimes when we think about the calling of God on our life and we think about these seasons of development, if we're not careful, we begin to confuse development with inactivity. Being developed is not synonymous with being inactive. Paul says, immediately, immediately I begin to step into to what Christ had called me into. Now, here, here's the tension that we face and the tension that we live into. I think the calling of God upon Paul's life was much bigger than he immediately experienced. And if we're not careful, sometimes God's calling on us for the next decade overwhelms us in the moment. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed by, by what God's calling us to next year that we miss what he's inviting us into right now that person right in front of us, that moment right in front of us, that opportunity right in front of us. And Paul says, listen, in between me being disrupted by Jesus on the road to Damascus and me being deployed into the mission that God had prepared me for, in between it was a long, uncomfortable season of development that was marked by time and that was marked by obedience, where immediately I began to do. Immediately I began to live into what God had called me to. It's not just time and it's not just obedience. Number three, it's a commitment to obscurity, to obscurity. And man, this is so uncomfortable for us in our celebrity-worshipping, Instagrammed type of culture. We've been so conditioned to think that greatness is synonymous with fame. Please, if you don't hear me say anything else today, hear me say this, is that I believe God has made every one of you for great things, but you being called to great things does not mean you'll be known for it. In fact, one of the great gifts in the kingdom of God is the gift of obscurity. You know, the old saying was, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it actually fall or did it actually make a sound, right? I think the new saying would be, if you read the Bible in the morning and you don't post it on Instagram, did you actually read the scriptures, right? Like there's, there's this thing in us, and I know I'm stepping on toes, but there's this thing in us that goes, man, I wanna do something great for God and I wanna be known as being great for God. But I'm convinced that the way God begins to form our character is he invites us into these places where over long periods of time, we're stepping into these small acts of unrecognizable, uncelebrated uh, moments of obedience in total obscurity. And Paul says, there I was doing exactly what God asked me to do and none of the big churches recognized it. None of the great leaders saw it. Nobody knew to celebrate it. None of, nobody liked my post. Nobody patted me on the back. He said, I just kept doing that thing that God called me to do. Uh, here's the reality. God will call you into amazing things and nobody may see it, but do you know who will see it? Jesus. And it's in those seasons, it's in those places where we learn to play and serve the only audience that matters. 
So what happens in a dark room when pictures are developed, if they're exposed to the light too soon, it, it ruins everything. And so what happens with us in Christ, Christ disrupts us when we're in the middle of our spiritual detours. He begins calling us into this season of development that takes time, that takes obedience, that takes obscurity, and you feel like you're in the dark. You feel like you're hidden. You feel like you're unseen. You feel like you're unnoticed, but God is preparing you for what it is that he's made you in advance for. And if the light of people's attention were to hit you too quickly, it would ruin the portrait that Christ is trying to paint in you. Man, if you want to be in the destiny that God's made you for, it's gonna require time. It's gonna require obedience. It's going to require obscurity. And last but not least, it's gonna require community. I love this all throughout Paul's journey. You see uh, the role of community, you know, in, uh, in the book of Acts, he's, he's being commissioned and discipled by guys like Ananias and Barnabas. And then you get to Acts chapter 13 and here he is in this community who more than a decade earlier, God had looked at Paul and said, hey, I'm gonna use you as my chosen instrument to the Gentiles. But it's not until this moment in prayer and fasting where the community begins to call out of Saul that which God had already spoken into him. And this is one of the significant realities of community where community walks with us in this season of development. And then when the time is right, God will tap some of your friends on the shoulder and say, hey, now it's the time. Now it's the time to live into the thing that God has made you for. It's the reason you get things in community that you never get just listening to podcasts on your own at home on a Sunday morning or going for a walk around Radnor Lake. All of those things are fine and good, but there's something that comes out in the body of believers as we begin to call out the life of God in each other. Paul discovered firsthand that before he, be, he could become a leader, he had to first be a follower. And in a culture where all of us wanna be something great, we wanna be something significant, there's this pressure, there's this temptation to go, man, I've gotta build a platform, I've gotta live into my purpose, I've gotta do all of it by the age of 25, I've gotta capitalize on it by the age of 40, then I've gotta cruise to the age of 60. And I go, man, that is the timeline of our culture, that is not the timeline of our Christ. And God has immeasurably more for you than you could ask or imagine. The question is, can you see it? And in between your disruption and your destiny is a season of development that comes with time, that comes with obedience, that comes with obscurity, that's found in community. And God begins to unleash you into the things and the plans that he's prepared in advance for you. You know, all week long, I was just asking God, I was like, God, why? Like, why does the season of development have to be so long? Like, why was it so long in Abraham and in Moses and in Israel and in David and in Jesus and in the disciples? And I think there's probably a lot of good answers to that, but the Spirit of God, he just kept putting this one phrase in my heart, and, and this is the phrase. I just want, want you to kind of just impress this upon your soul. The Spirit of God said, Dave, unless you're willing to be, have your character developed by me, you will be crushed by your calling. Unless you're willing to let your character be developed by me, you will be crushed by your calling. A character that has not been developed by God can never handle the calling of God in their life. I see this, I've seen this with some of my dearest friends in ministry, guys that were called by Jesus, women that were called by Jesus, undeniably, but they would not, they would not lean into their season of being developed by God. And eventually the calling became too much to handle and it utterly crushed them. Things what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 15, he's getting ready to go to the cross. Remember this conversation that he's having with the disciples? 
They're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're there in that moonlit night. They're walking past uh, these, these um, vineyards. And Jesus stops there and he, he uses his surroundings to talk to them about what's going on in their spiritual journey. He says, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You remain in me and you will bear fruit. And then Jesus goes on to say, he says, anything that does not bear fruit, I cut it off and throw it away. He says, whatever bears fruit, he says, I prune it so it'll be more fruitful. Do you realize that pruning or development in the kingdom of God is not punishment? Pruning is a blessing. It's the season of development. If you know anything about the way that vineyards work, in a good vineyard, the gardener will not let a vine produce any fruit for its first three years. Every year, its first three years, it'll cut off all the smaller fruit because it knows that in order to bear the fruit that it has to bear, the main branch has to get big enough and strong enough to hold that which it was meant to carry. And if it bears fruit too early, it will break when the real fruit comes. How long had the disciples been with Jesus in John 15? Up to this point, three years. Jesus says, I've been cutting off the fruit. I've been pruning you for three years. He says, now comes your time. You're strong enough to bear what's coming. Listen, some of you have been in a season where God has been saying, hey, I'm cutting things away. I'm paring you down. Why? It's not a punishment. It's so that your life can bear the weight of his calling by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not developed by Jesus, you will be crushed in your calling. I go, man, I believe God has amazing things prepared for each and every one of you. I think about what happened in the life of Saul, this, this guy that is confronted by Jesus. He's disrupted by Christ. He's developed by Jesus for more than a decade. Then all of a sudden in Acts 13, he's sent out into his destiny. And as he is sent out into his destiny, it brings God glory. It brings him joy. And it's for the good of those that he's getting ready to go to. And here's the reality, you finding your purpose, you living into your destiny is ultimately not about you. It's about the Christ that has called you. Will you finding your purpose bring you joy? Absolutely. Will it bring God glory? Absolutely. But it's ultimately not just about God and not just about you, but it's for the good of those who don't yet know that they were created by God and that they've been destined by God. And what happens when this little church releases Saul is all of a sudden we find ourselves thousands of years later meeting in a bar in downtown Nashville because this church had the courage to allow this man to be developed in the crucible of God's presence and then to release him when the time was right for the good of the ends of the earth. And I go, guys, this is the vision for ethos. The vision is not to see how many people can cram in a bar on a Sunday morning. It's not the vision, it's laughable. It's not the vision. The, the vision is going, God, hey, God, could we become the kind of community where people are developed and disrupted in your presence, by your hands, so they can be sent into their destiny for your glory, their joy, and the good of the world around them? I believe God's raising you up. He's raising you up. But the journey from where you are to where he's calling, he's not gonna be straight. It's not gonna be simple. It's not gonna be easy. <laughs> gonna be a lot of moments coming in. For those of you that look out and our church is so young, understatement of the year. <laughs> you know, so much of our church is in the first half of your life, barring some tragic, unexpected accident. A lot of you are in the first half of your life. And I think there's this crazy, ridiculous pressure that our culture puts on young people that says, man, you gotta get out of college, you gotta find your thing, you gotta build your platform, and by 25, if you're not crushing it, then you've missed the boat. <laughs> I hear people all the time in our church going, man, I'm having a quarter life crisis. I go, you're not even getting started. 
best stuff that God has for you may be 50 years away. Don't be defined the way the culture defines us. And will you be more interested in being developed by God than you are being discovered by people? That's what I say with every person that joins our team. I sit them down and say, hey, we're entering into ministry together. It is your job to be developed by God, not discovered by people. Be developed by God. Be developed by God. Be developed by God so you can carry the things that God has in store for you. We need a totally different perspective on life. Those of you that are in the first half of life, you may not even get to the thing that God has for you until you hit 50 or 60 or 70. There's some of you here that are, you know, self-admittedly in the second half of life, and I'm not gonna give you a number to define that. I'll let you define that on your own. But there's some of you here that are going, hey, unless medicine and technology advances, I'm in the second half of life. And I think there's these pitfalls that are just as dangerous for you. Our culture says, hey, all of your best stuff happened last decade. Our culture that worships youth, that worships the young. We, we live in a culture that has given the biggest voice and the biggest platform to 18-year-olds on YouTube. And I go, that's insanity. I'm convinced your greatest years are still ahead of you. Your best moments are not in the rearview mirror. And we need your wisdom. We need your perspective. We need your sorrow. We need your joy. For those of you that are in the second half of life, your vocation may be changing, but your calling in God is just getting started. And we do not need you to cash out. We do not need you to play it safe. We do not need you to spend half the year on the beach somewhere and just cruise it in. We need you to help us make disciples. We need you to help us advance the kingdom of God. We need you to keep moving forward in the kingdom. One of my dear friends who's 89 years old, I remember what he told me, he said, Dave, my greatness in life, my joy in life did not get started till I was 67. And he did some amazing things in this city uh, up until the point when he was 67. But I look at this man who's 89 years old and he will not be out-worshipped. He will not be out-led. He's like, listen, he said, any room I'm in, I wanna be the most radical man of God in the room. And I'm looking at this 89-year-old that's going, man, I'm just getting started. And you go, guys, that's his perspective in the kingdom that we're designed by God. Every one of us, through sin and all sorts of struggle, take detours in the kingdom. We're disrupted by Jesus over and over and over, invited back into our story. We are developed in the secret places and then we're released into our destiny. And I want you to hear this. Every bit of it's for Jesus. You're designed by Jesus. You're disrupted by Jesus. You're developed in Jesus. And you're deployed into your destiny for Jesus. All of this is for him. And if you want your life to count, it starts with Jesus. Not just you getting a plan, not just you sitting down and figuring out what your life purpose is. There's some of you here this morning, and I go, man, if you're not following Jesus, it starts in Jesus. And we'd love to introduce you to him today. You can walk out of this room today in good standing with Jesus. Let us help you do that. In a few moments, we're gonna have a time of prayer. There's gonna be some men and women over at the Respond Banner. If you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, we wanna help you do that. But there's some of you here this morning and you go, man, I've been walking with Jesus. But now as I'm walking with Jesus, I'm in a season of being developed by Jesus. And here in just a moment, we're gonna take communion together, the bread and the cup. And I wanna invite you to come back to your seats. And there's gonna be this question. You can go ahead and put it up on the screen. As you come back to your seats, as you break the bread, as you take the cup, I just want you to spend some time asking one another, where is it that you sense God is working to develop you in this season of life? 
Where is it that you're being developed by God? And spend some time praying together, serving one another, ministering to each other, confessing sin so that God will bring us into all that he has for us. I wanna invite you to stand up right now where you're at. I wanna pray over us as we get ready to send us. In this culture that is obsessed with the highlight reel version of life and Christianity, I just wanna say it's okay for you to be a person in process in this community. It's okay for you to be in the long, slow development in the kingdom of God. Because we believe what God is doing in you will open the door for what it is that God wants to do through you, and you cannot rush that process. So I just wanna pray a prayer of blessing and patience and peace over you as we enter into that. Father, I love you. I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for the reality of life in the kingdom, and we just acknowledge that it is slower than we want. It does not go the way that we wish it would go, but God, what we say is would you help us to be more interested in being developed by you than being discovered by people? God, would you give us this commitment to time and to obedience and to obscurity and to community that would open the door for your glory, not just in our city, but in the nations. God, this morning, would you call us out? Would you raise people up? Would you, would you place callings on our lives and purpose in our lives? Would you unveil things in community that would start here and that would flow to the ends of the earth? It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.